Book Fifth, Chapter One of The Wings of the Dove. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. The Wings of the Dove by Henry James. Section Ten. Book Fifth, Chapter One. Lord Mark looked at her to-day in particular, as if to wring from her a confession that she had originally done him injustice, and he was entitled to whatever there might be in it of advantage of merit, that his intention really in a manner took effect. He cared about something, after all, sufficiently to make her feel absurdly as if she were confessing. All the while it was quite the case that neither justice nor injustice was what had been in question between them. He had presented himself at the hotel, and had found her, and had found Susan Shepherd at home. Had been civil to Susan, it was just that shade, and Susan's fancy had fondly caught it, and then had come again and missed them, and then had come and found them once more besides letting them easily see that if it hadn't by this time been the end of everything which they could feel in the exhausted air that of the season at its last gasp the places they might have liked to go to were such as they would have had only to mention their feelings was or at any rate their modest general plea that there was no place they would have liked to go to there was only the sense of finding they liked wherever they were, the place to which they had been brought. Such was highly the case as to their current consciousness, which could be indeed, in an equally eminent degree, but a matter of course, impressions this afternoon having, by a happy turn of their wheel, been gathered for them into a splendid cluster, an offering like an armful of the rarest flowers. They were in presence of the offering, they had been led up to it, and if it had been still their habit to look at each other across distances for increase of unanimity, his hand would have been silently named between them as the hand applied to the wheel. He had administered the touch, that under light analysis made the difference, the difference of their not having lost as Susie on the spot, and at the hour phrased it again and again, both for herself and for such others as the question might concern, so beautiful and interesting an experience. The difference also, in fact, of Mrs. Loder's not having lost it either, though it was superficially with Mrs. Loder they had come, and though it was further with that lady that our young woman was directly engaged during the half-hour or so of her most agreeable inward response to the scene. The great historic house had for Milly beyond terrace and garden as the centre of an almost extravagantly grand bateau composition, a tone as of old gold kept down by the quality of the air, summer full-flushed but attuned to the general perfect taste much by her measure for the previous hour appeared in connection with this revelation of it to have happened to her a quantity expressed in introductions of charming new people in walks through halls of armour of pictures of cabinets of tapestry of tea-tables in an assault of reminders that this largeness of style 
was the sign of appointed felicity. The largeness of style was the great containing vessel, while everything else, the pleasant personal affluence, the easy murmurous welcome, the honoured age of illustrious host and hostess, all at once so distinguished and so plain, so public and so shy, became but this or that element of the infusion. The elements melted together and seasoned the draught, the essence of which might have struck the girl as distilled into the small cup of iced coffee she had vaguely accepted from somebody. While a fuller flood somehow kept bearing her up, all the freshness of response of her young life, the freshness of the first and only prime. What had perhaps brought on just now a kind of climax was the fact of her appearing to make out through Aunt Maud what was really the matter. It couldn't be less than a climax for a poor shaky maiden to find it put to her of a sudden that she herself was the matter, for that was positively what, on Mrs. Loder's part, it came to. Everything was great, of course, in great pictures, and it was doubtless precisely a part of the brilliant life, since the brilliant life as one had faintly figured it, just was humanly led, that all impressions within its area partook of its brilliancy. Still, letting that pass, it fairly stamped an hour as with the official seal for one to be able to take in so comfortably one's companion's broad blandness. You must stay among us, you must stay, anything else is impossible and ridiculous. You don't know yet, no doubt, you can't, but you will soon enough. You can stay in any position. It had been as the murmurous consecration to follow the murmurous welcome, and even if it were but part of Aunt Maud's own spiritual ebriety, for the dear woman, one could see, was spiritually keeping the day. It served to Milly, then and afterwards, as a high-water mark of the imagination. It was to be the end of the short parenthesis which had begun but the other day, at Lancaster Gate, with Lord Marx informing her that she was a success. The key thus again struck, and though no distinct, no numbered revelations had crowded in, there had, as we have seen, been plenty of incident for the space and the time. There had been thrice as much, and all gratuitous and genial, if in portions, not exactly hitherto the revelation, as three unprepared weeks could have been expected to produce. Mrs. Loder had improvised a rush for them, but out of elements, as Milly was now a little more freely aware, somewhat roughly combined. Therefore, if at this very instant she had her reasons for thinking of the parenthesis as about too close, reasons completely personal, she had on behalf of her companion a divination almost as deep. The parenthesis would close with this admirable picture, but the admirable picture still would show Aunt Maud as not absolutely sure either if she herself were destined to remain in it. What she was doing, Milly might even not have escaped seeming to see, was to talk herself into a sublimer serenity while she ostensibly talked Milly. It was fine. The girl fully felt the way she did talk her. 
little as at bottom our young woman needed it or found other persuasions at fault. It was in particular during the minutes of her grateful absorption of iced coffee, qualified by a sharp doubt of her wisdom, that she most had in view Lord Mark's relation to her being there, or at least to the question of her being amused at it. It wouldn't have taken much by the end of five minutes quite to make her feel that this relation was charming. It might once more simply have been that everything, anything, was charming, when one was so justly and completely charmed. But, frankly, she hadn't supposed anything so serenely sociable could settle itself between them, as the friendly understanding that was at present somehow in the air. There were many of them together near the marquee that had been erected on the stretch of sward as a temple of refreshment, and that had happened to have the property, which was all to the good, of making Milly think of a durbar. Her iced coffee had been a consequence of this connection, through which, further, the bright company scattered about fell thoroughly into place. Certain of its members might have represented the contingent of native princes, familiar but scarce the less grandly gregarious term. And Lord Mark would have done for one of these, even though for choice he but presented himself as a supervisory friend of the family. The Lancastergate family, he clearly intended, in which he included its American recruits, and included, above all, Kate Croy, a young person blessedly easy to take care of. She knew people, and people knew her, and she was the handsomest thing there, this last a declaration made by Milly, in a sort of soft midsummer madness, a straight skylark flight of charity to Aunt Maud. Kate had for her new friend's eyes the extraordinary and attaching property of appearing at a given moment to show as a beautiful stranger to cut her connections and lose her identity, letting the imagination for the time make what it would of them, make her merely a person striking from afar, more and more pleasing as one watched, but who was above all a subject for curiosity. Nothing could have given her as a party to a relation, a greater freshness than this sense, which sprang up at its own hours, of once being as curious about her as if one hadn't known her. It had sprung up, we have gathered, as soon as Milly had seen her after hearing from Mrs. Stringham of her knowledge of Merton Densher. She had looked then other and, as Milly knew the real critical mind would call it, more objective, and our young woman had foreseen it of her on the spot, that she would often look so again. It was exactly what she was doing this afternoon, and Milly, who had amusements of thought that were like the secrecies of a little girl playing with dolls when conventionally too big, could almost settle to the game of what one would suppose her, how one would place her, if one didn't know her. She became thus intermittently a figure conditioned only by the great facts of aspect, a figure to be waited for named and fitted. This was doubtless but a way of feeling that it was of her essence to be peculiarly what the occasion, whatever it might be, demanded when its demand was highest. 
There were probably ways enough on these lines for such a consciousness. Another of them would be, for instance, to say that she was made for great social uses. Milly wasn't fully sure she herself knew what great social uses might be, unless, as a good example, to exert just that sort of glamour in just that sort of frame where one of them she would have fallen back on knowing sufficiently that they existed at all events for her friend. It imputed a primeness all round to be reduced but to saying, by way of a translation of one's amusement, that she was always so right, since that too often was what the insupportables themselves were. Yet it was in overflow to Aunt Maud what she had to content herself with all save for the lame enhancement of saying she was lovely. It served, despite everything, the purpose, strengthened the bond that for the time held the two ladies together, distilled in short its drop of rose colour for Mrs. Loder's own view. That was really the view Milly had, for most of the rest of the occasion, to give herself to immediately taking in, but it didn't prevent the continued play of those swift cross-lights, odd beguilements of the mind at which we have already glanced mrs loder herself found it enough simply to reply in respect to kate that she was indeed a luxury to take about the world she expressed no more surprise than that at her rightness to-day didn't it by this time sufficiently shine out that it was precisely as the very luxury she was proving that she had from far back, being appraised and waited for. Crude elation, however, might be kept at bay, and the circumstance nonetheless made clear that they were all swimming together in the blue. It came back to Lord Mark again, as he seemed slowly to pass and repass, and conveniently to linger before them. He was personally the note of the blue, like a suspended skein of silk within reach of the broiderer's hand. Aunt Maud's free-moving shuttle took a length of him at rhythmic intervals, and one of the accessory truths that flickered across to Milly was that he ever so consentingly knew that he was being worked in. This was almost like an understanding with her at Mrs. Loder's expense, which she would have none of. She wouldn't for the world have had him make any such point as that he wouldn't have launched them at Matcham, or whatever it was he had done, only for Aunt Maud's beau-yeu. What he had done, it would have been guessable, was something he had for some time been desired in vain to do, and what they were all now profiting by was a change comparatively sudden, the cessation of hope delayed. What had caused the cessation easily showed itself as none of Milly's business, and she was luckily, for that matter, in no real danger of hearing from him directly that her individual weight had been felt in the scale. Why then, indeed, was it an effect of his diffused but subdued participation that he might absolutely have been saying to her, Yes, let the dear woman take her own tone. Since she is here, she may stay. He might have been adding, for whatever she can make of it, but you and I are different. Milly knew she was different in truth. His own difference was his own affair. 
but also she knew that after all, even at their distinctest, Lord Mark's tips in this line would be tacit. He practically placed her, it came round again to that, under no obligation whatever. It was a matter of equal ease, moreover, her letting Mrs. Loder take a tone. She might have taken twenty, they would have spoiled nothing. You must stay on with us, you can, you know, in any position you like, any, 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 my dear child, and her emphasis went deep. You must make your home with us, and it's really open to you to make the most beautiful one in the world. You mustn't be under a mistake, under any of any sort, and you must let us all think for you a little, take care of you, and watch over you. Above all, you must help me with Kate, and you must stay a little for her. Nothing for a long time has happened to me so good as that you and she should have become friends. It's beautiful, it's great, it's everything. What makes it perfect is that it should have come about through our dear, delightful Susie, restored to me after so many years by such a miracle. No. That's more charming to me than even your hitting it off with Kate. God has been good to one, positively, for I couldn't at my age have made a new friend, undertaken, I mean, out of whole cloth, the real thing. It's like changing one's bankers. After fifty, one doesn't do that. That's why Susie has been kept for me as you seem to keep people in your wonderful country, in lavender and pink paper, coming back at last as straight as out of a fairy tale, and with you as an attending fairy. Milly hereupon replied appreciatively that such a description of herself made her feel as if pink paper were her dress and lavender its trimming but Aunt Maud wasn't to be deterred by a weak joke from keeping it up. The young person under her protection could feel, besides, that she kept it up in perfect sincerity. She was somehow at this hour a very happy woman, and a part of her happiness might precisely have been that her affections and her views were moving as never before in concert. Unquestionably, she loved Susie, but she also loved Kate and loved Lord Mark, loved their funny old host and hostess, loved everyone within range, down to the very servant who came to receive Milly's empty ice-plate, down, for that matter, to Milly herself, who was, while she talked, really conscious of the enveloping flap of a protective mantle, a shelter, with the weight of an eastern carpet, an eastern carpet for wishing purposes of one's own, was a thing to be on rather than under. Still, however, if the girl should fail of breath, it wouldn't be, she could feel by Mrs. Loder's fault. One of the last things she was afterwards to recall of this was Aunt Maud's going on to say, that she and Kate must stand together, because together they could do anything. It was for Kate, of course, she was essentially planning, but the plan, enlarged and uplifted now, 
somehow required Milly's prosperity too for its full operation, just as Milly's prosperity at the same time involved Kate's. It was nebulous yet, it was slightly confused, but it was comprehensive and genial, and it made our young woman understand things Kate had said of her aunt's possibilities, as well as characterizations that had fallen from Susan Shepherd. One of the most frequent on the lips of the latter had been that dear Maud was a grand natural force. End of Book Fifth, Chapter One. Read by Lars Rolander.